The MPH degree experienced enormous growth since the COVID lockdown. One of the leading and largest programs in public health is offered by UC Irvine, and we are talking to the director of that program today. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 517th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. The challenge at the heart of graduate admissions is showing that you both fit in at your target schools and are a standout in the applicant pool. Except it's free download, Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions will show you how to do both. Master this paradox and you are well on your way to acceptance. Download the free guide at acceptance.com slash F-I-S-O, as in fitting in, standing out. Again, that's accepted.com slash F-I-S-O. Our guest today is Dr. Bernadette Bowden-Albala, Director of the UCI Program in Public Health and Founding Dean of the future UCI School of Population and Public Health. Dean Bowden-Albala, prior to moving to UC Irvine in 2019, she served as Social Epidemiologist at Columbia University and then as Professor and Senior Associate Dean at NYU. She earned her MPH and her doctorate in public health from Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. Dr. Bonin Albala, welcome to Admission Straight Talk. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm delighted to speak with you. Now, can you give us, just for starters, can you give us an overview of UCI's MPH program focusing on its more distinctive elements? Sure. So first of all, our MPH degree program was established, oh, almost uh, over a decade ago, 2010, was accredited, which is critically important by the Council on Education for Public Health, CEIF, in 2012. And, and it was really the first professional degree of the UCI public health program and a big component, again, of this envisioned UCI School of Population and Public Health. And I should say that even before we had an MPH program, we have a very large, one of the largest and most diverse undergraduate programs in public health. And so even though the program started about 12 years ago, we have a wonderful public health faculty that has really been doing public health for a, a longer time than that. And um, really the aim of the program is to create public health practitioners who really work independently and collaboratively to develop and implement strategies that, is, that are really gonna reduce the burden of disease and disability globally, locally and globally. And I would say a real distinction is our focus on community and partnering with community. And I, I think we have some of the best, if not the best community based or community engaged researchers. And, and Orange County, which is one of the largest counties in the country, is a very diverse county. And a lot of our faculty are working with all different populations in the county. And so that really is 
I think a huge distinctive feature. And when you're working in partnership with communities, automatically your focus is going to be on health equity. And we were doing health equity long before a lot of people were even talking or thinking about health equity. And so, you know, that is the foundation, community engaged work, health equity of what we do. And then you add on top of that incredible work in public health science. And our MPH students, and our MPH used to be a small boutique program, you know, 15, 20 students, and it's now grown over over 100 students um, and growing. And uh, we've been adding faculty since I got here in 2019. Our faculty has tripled. And again, we're bringing in all of these folks whose work really threads this health equity community uh, work, a lot of work on environmental health disparities when a lot of other programs in the country about 15 years ago really sort of closed down or or took environmental health programs and moved them into other areas. We built ours up and now we have this very strong environmental and occupational health department. And that also includes a center that's state funded on occupational health. Um, We also have a very strong epidemiology and biostats department with a big focus on cancer control and screening, especially in diverse communities. We have our oldest department is a population health disease prevention, and that really is focused on both global health and also um, biological determinants of health. And our fourth department- Like what, what would be a biological determinant of health? Oh, so really focused on things like biomarkers and understanding biomarkers. And so like even the, the breast cancer focused, gene, for example, breast cancer gene, genes for depression, mm-hmm. uh, things about uh, biomarkers and stress, measuring cortisol through hair and looking then at population level stress, which is coming from things like, like social determinants of health. And so, and I'll just, and our last department is health society and behavior. And as you can imagine, they're really thinking about all of the social determinants of health and then thinking sort of about health policy and really how to move the evidence base forward. Fascinating. Now, when I was preparing for the call, I saw that there are four main paths through the MPH program. I realized that you have a very large undergraduate program, but yes. Admission Straight Talk is focused on graduates. So we're going we're gonna to focus Great. on the MPH, if that's okay with you. Yes, yes, absolutely. What are the four main paths through the MPH program? So epidemiology and biostatistics is a key path, and that's really training. So for biostats, you're thinking about the development and application of statistical reasoning and methods. And a big area in biostats now that we are, actually, we have a very large program that's focused on health informatics and really using large data sets like electronic health records data sets to really try... We, we hear this term precision medicine, precision health, right? How to individualize health to, to that patient or to that individual. But I talk about uh, precision public health, and it's really understanding that populations are different, that they experience diseases differently, and to use these large data sets to help us understand what that would look like. And that's, of course, then this area through which people can go, biostats or epidemiology, really understanding 
the etiology of disease. And one area within that is a social epidemiology, which is what are the social influences that impact disease and the way in which populations experience that disease. So that's sort of one area. We talked a little bit before about environmental health, and this really provides students the opportunity to examine how the health of the population is affected by biological, chemical, and physical factors in the environment. And there's a lot of work now. We talk a lot about climate change and health. You know, we were just talking, uh, Linda, about the rain in California and about climate change. And we see this all over um, the country, all over the world. And our folks in environmental health are working on problems like, you know, what, what, what happens if you're exposed to intense heat for weeks at a time. And what does that do, you know, to you, to you, what does it make it vulnerable to other diseases, et cetera? How does that influence your health? And then the other thing with environmental health is, you know, different populations are in very different environments. And so we talk about experiencing diseases differently. Uh, These environments then may lead to a higher incidence of certain diseases in certain populations because of exactly where those populations live. And so environmental health, clean air, clean water, all of those things, that's another pathway. And then sociocultural diversity and health, right? And this has really become big and it's so important. It's the work that I do, I've been doing for Two, uh, two decades is really understanding, you know, the social impact. And it's not just about access. It's about things like structural racism and how to identify structural racism, structural racism in health and how to identify those factors and how to, how to make changes so that everybody, you know, so that we have health equity so that everybody really gets the resources they need to be successful in optimal health and well-being. Okay. Wow. That's a lot to, lot to digest. <laughs> Besides the MPH, which I said we were going to focus on, what are the other graduate degrees offered at UCI in public health? Yes. Yeah, so we have a master's of science in environmental health science. And okay. so that kind of work is around things like toxicology. And, you know, so there's a whole science around environmental health. And so those students are really focused on that. That's very lab Based And we also have a master's of science in epidemiology. And, um, you know, we're planning on uh, hopefully increasing our master's of science programs as well, you know, down the road, probably in the next year or two to include a master's of science, for example, in biostatistics, where those folks would now, if you get, if you get an MPH in biostatistics, which is a degree we give out, same kind of thing, but, you know, how to apply this kind of statistical reasoning to to go out into a lot of industries, including, for example, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and so while we've got a real focus on community and populations and government as places where the those with the MPH can then work after, um, there are also private industries that are really very uh, excited and want to have students trained, again, in a master of science or an MPH. And then I know we're not talking about the undergraduate at all, but we it's also okay. have a number of doctoral <laughs> degrees. Right, well. right. So I'm gonna, I just go on. To yeah, the, that's fine. The, that's fine. 
that we have a PhD in public health, which is in disease prevention and, and one of them, and the other is in global health. So this PhD in public health with two emphasis areas, a PhD in epidemiology, and also a PhD in environmental health sciences. And that's focused on toxicology and exposure sciences is one area. And then environmental epidemiology. And remember, we talked a lot about um, thinking through environmental health disparities, how mm -hmm. to identify that, how to think about. So one of our faculty just presented some great data around pregnancy and green space. And that's what an environmental epidemiologist would do. They oh, would really say, is it important to have trees? Is it important to have flowers, right? Are there differences, grass or trees? And, yeah. uh, and it turns out there might be some differences. So that's what you do in environmental epidemiology. And so those are other things that we are offering. We also have a certificate now in health informatics. We are starting a center for bioethics, a really important area. So we're just growing. And, you sound like, uh, yeah, like, like it's... Wow, really exploding, really. We're, yeah. and I, was just, I would say that the most, I think the most important thing to take away is that there are many paths to optimizing health and wellness. You can go down a policy path or an epi path, or you could go and do sort of social cultural work or access work. And it, it doesn't really matter which path you need to take the path that you have most passion about uh, so that you can be most successful. And we're always happy to talk to anybody who has questions about which path may work best for them. Sounds like there's really a lot of um, not only opportunity. Well, I guess the opportunity would be where they get jobs, but like there's there are programs that's very quantitative, more programs right. that are very scientific, chemically or you know chemistry oriented. Right. That's right. Um, probably more than some that are more community and uh, right. oriented right. within the field. Am I correct? That is absolutely correct. But I will tell you that the training and I actually teach the MPH graduate seminar series, which is a two quarter course at the end of the first year that all students with getting an MPH will really understand the critical importance of the evidence-based public health science and how to really translate that to community. And I think we did a poor job during COVID. And I think we've all as leaders in public health have learned a lot about what not to do anymore. <laughs> and we need, so we need to give students the confidence to be able to defend science. And then we need to be able to give them the experience and skills to translate that out so that they can work in any community partnering with those communities and hopefully we move in the right direction towards again optimal health right that sounds like a, a wonderful goal that's for sure now we've talked a little bit we've touched on the fact that the uci program is going to become the school of population and public health so a few questions a lot of questions on that <laughs> when do you anticipate that happening and why is it the school of population and public health that's, well, that's a distinctive that's a great question. And distinctive is exactly what we want to be. So, you know, UCI has always been thinking about a, a school in public health. And we have a lot of schools at UCI. We're at 50,000 plus campus. And I know it's you. My son's yeah. a graduate, by the way. So. Oh, that's mm -hmm. so great. That's great. What, what, what area? Computers. Computers. Oh, that's not, not public computer. health. Computers. What? 
well, we're integrated now. With Absolutely. Um, where that's really wonderful. And UCI's top, top notch um, education. I left the privates to come out here to UCI because I felt I, I could no longer graduate students who were 150 plus thousand dollars in debt. And, um, and we're really working, by the way, towards getting our master's in public health students out debt free. And, uh, and right now, they're about 60,000 in debt. That's the average that's less than what you see in most other schools of public health, but that's way too much public health is a noble profession. So, but anyway, so UCI has always backed and wanted to do, I wanted to have a school of public health. Again, we've had a small program, I was hired about well, four years ago in 2019 to make that transition. During that time, we grew from one department to four departments. As I mentioned, we tripled our faculty. We're growing our students, especially really focused on our professional MPH program, which is exactly what the world and the nation needs, right? Workforce needs of over 250 thousand people um, in public health is needed across this country. And so we are on the way. We are very much on the way. We, you know, we're in the University of California system. So there is a bureaucracy and we had to write a proposal and which was great because it really gave faculty the time to think about what they wanted and how we could do things differently than other schools of public health and what we wanted to focus on, which I've elaborated on in the last couple of questions questions, you know, community and communication and science and, 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 and um, enhancing the evidence base and thinking about environmental health and cancer and cardiovascular disease. So we've got the proposal and um, it went all the way up through the system as a pre-proposal. And now we're go- it's going back in as a full proposal. And we're really hoping over the next few months to get a sign off wow. on that. And that's really important for students. I remember I was at Columbia, as you had mentioned. um, And I think I started at Columbia when we were also a program and not a school. And we transitioned to being one of the great schools of public health, Columbia University, Mailman School, um, across the country. And it's just so great for students. Again, we're an accredited program already. Um, And so to be a school, we would then go through accreditation for a school and that, you know, that doesn't diminish the the accreditation for a program, but just enhances and really looks at the whole soup to nuts, the undergraduate, the the PhD, and of course, you know, the really highlight the MPH, uh, you know, as as the uh, professional degree in public health. And so I think it would mean that we would have enhanced opportunities. There are some large grants out there that are only given to schools, for example. We would be this this great program in this very large county, really working in partnership with our community stakeholders and our government partners to to really lead public health and to be that model. And so I think it's just going to be a wonderful thing for students. Our students are thrilled to be in a program, but I think moving it the next step would would just be fantastic for everyone. So that was actually my next question. Well, two two next questions. <laughs> um, when do you think, assuming that you get approval and things go forward, when do you think it would be a school as opposed to a program? And for students in the program, what do you think? What are the advantages? Is it is it you know enhanced internship opportunities, enhanced research opportunities, just uh, more prestige to the degree? 
I, I think there's more prestige to the degree. I think there are definitely enhanced research opportunities. You know, I think for our MPH students, we've really worked very, very hard in the last four years to really to really get a handle on what these practicum opportunities look like and then how to take those practicums and move them into, into jobs. You know, COVID, I think in some ways helped that. Um, one of the things that we did in the last couple of years is that we hired to be director of our MPH program. We hired a seasoned uh, public health practitioner, David Salalis, who had worked both at the county for quite a while, uh, actually, uh, uh, you know, into the beginning of COVID. And um, he was also at the California State Department of Health office for a number of years as well. And so getting practitioners in, in leadership roles in these sort of programs or schools is important. I think it is the prestige. I also, you know, we're moving up in the ranks. When I got here, we were ranked at 41, where we've moved 10 points in, in a very few years, um, up to 31. We're now in number 19, um, compared, comparing all, across all schools and programs, and that's of, um, of private uh, 19 in the sorry 19 in the publics and 31 across and I think that it it's harder to move into the top 20 or top 10 as a program that's when you really need uh, to be a school and you ask then why population and public health and why not so you know it's interesting what we do is public health we're trained in public health we'll always be trained in public health but the world has really looked at public health so in some ways very negatively very punitive you know they quarantine people and so we one of the things we wanted to do is be really inclusive of everyone and and really trying to change how people thought about public health by thinking about population. We're really about the population, the community. And so we ended up that we ended up with this name, you know, they whatever our naming gift will be, hopefully, but the but a school of population and public health. And so hoping to uh to really get people to be uh to be positive about public health as a field and adding okay. population. All right. Thank you. Let's turn to the application and the application process for the MPH. Yeah. yeah. What are you looking for in terms of academics from applicants? And I'd like you to break down the academics into coursework, grades, and I noticed the GRE is waived. So if, if there's anything else relevant, but those those two, those three. Academics um, first, and then we'll talk about other we'll things. Talk about ex ex exact okay. experience, okay. et cetera. Okay. Yeah. So that's great. So we are really looking for academically rigorous students. We are a top program in public health. So we are really looking for students, you know, with at least at really at least a 3.0 or better and really more towards 4.0. We'd like to see that they, you know, have excelled in the sciences um, because Public health is a science, but we also would like to see that they've explored other areas, um, you know, whether it's social science or anthropology or philosophy, because public health is not just science, but it's really then the translation of science into uh, things that we can do to, to optimize health in communities. And so a broad liberal arts education would be 
wonderful. Those students tend to be uh, well-read and can write, which is communication is really important. And, you know, with, with some biology and uh, some math skills, you know, there's a lot of data in public health. And so yeah. maybe you're not going to run uh, the statistics for a program, but you certainly need to be able to interpret and not just interpret, but translate that then out uh, to lay populations. And so that's what we're really looking for. And the other thing though, I wanna say is don't be discouraged if you started out as a freshman and didn't do so well in college, but then realized, you know, I really am determined so I'm gonna go and my and my uh, my uh, GPA, your GPA in, increases and your grades, you know, look better. That's okay. So don't be discouraged because we want people who've had real life experiences and not, not all the time is everything easy. And so, um, so we've waived the GREs for the MPH. Now, most schools of public health have now waived the GREs. And there's, there's concern that the GREs are actually biased against populations that, uh, you know, have limited access to things like tutoring or to any kind of practice related organized activities that they're biased uh, towards people who have had a lot of AP advanced placement um, in high schools. And, you know, everybody's coming from a different type of educational experience. And again, and so, so we've, we've done away with our GREs for the MPH students. But if you're going to do epidemiology or biostats, we're going to expect that you've taken some calculus or some statistics in, um, in college and that you've done well. Okay. Let's say you have an applicant who grades aren't fantastic. Okay. And maybe even the trend isn't that great, or maybe there's just an upward trend at the very end. Would you look at a GRE score? Would that be beneficial for that applicant? So we, we're not, well, are you so not even looking at them? We're really not looking at GRE okay. scores. Um, I, I, students are always encouraged to provide supplemental materials, right? And so you're talking about a student that is a good test taker, but for whatever reason, worked three jobs and had other things going on. And, uh, you know, we, so we, just so you know, we have moved towards holistic admissions, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that's really taking the student as a whole and evaluating them that way. I mean, I was somebody, you know, who did work two jobs and probably could have done a little bit better at that time on my GREs or whatever, or, or, or the math class. But I was, you know, I didn't have time. I was running around. And I think a lot of our students running around working, running around providing, you know, income for whatever, for family. A lot of our students have that. A lot of our students have really had very tough lives. And, um, and so the, and a holistic approach allows us to do that. And so let me just tell you that it, it used to be a decade ago that the first thing that I've reviewed a lot of applicants in a lot of institutions, and it used to be that you the first thing we would do is just cut off by GPA. So sure. anybody under a GPA, we just, you're out. And, and then same thing with scores. And so then you're left with this very limited amount of people people, most of whom had lived more privileged lives. And now we have, and it's not just us, but education has really moved yeah. higher ed 
thank goodness, to a place where it says, I want to evaluate the individual as a whole. And that is absolutely what we want to do and are trying to do. And so that means that if you have had uh, uh, some difficulty or have had, you know- It could have been illness. It could have been financial. It could have been family, mental health, whatever. Exactly. Do not hesitate to tell us to, to, to explain, do not hesitate to provide some insight because that's that's what we need, right? How else can we know you as an applicant if you haven't done that? And, and then take advantage, if you can, of opportunities for research or volunteering or working in a nursing home, right? And then really, I think it's so important. The most important thing to focus on for an application is, is your personal statement, right? Because that is really how, it's the only way that we get to know you. And, uh, and really, I would say, be very thoughtful about that and try to bring it in and integrate in sort of what your vision of public health and how you want to be part of public health. And, and that's the way that you'll get into a great school like UCI. That's great advice. Thank you. Now, experience, you, you touched on, you know, volunteering and maybe in a nursing home, wherever, experientially, what do you recommend applicants have in their background when they apply? I think that working in communities or working around health uh, is probably really important. And that can, that's very broad. So I talked about uh, a nursing home. Um, you know, I, when I was in high school, I did, you know, whatever it was, big brother, big sister, right? Just a sense of perspective about society. And, and, you know, you get that perspective when you do those kind of volunteer um, activities. And so that to me, whatever it is, or, or, or even sort of uh, showing innovation and initiative by starting a new club, you know, we have a great, um, we have great students, even in, in our undergrad who do a lot of work, they're, they're sort of um, justice advocates, right, around justice. And so those are the kind of things we, we, that, that builds character. And that's what we really want in public health. Right. So, so those kind of activities are great. Okay, great. Thank you. Now, UCI requires the SOFAS application, which is for, you know, master's in public health, as well as a personal history statement and a statement of purpose. Now, you kind of touched on that a minute ago when you talked about your vision for public health, but what are you hoping to glean from those documents that you don't get from the rest of the SOFAs? And how, how, do, you, how do you view them as being different? The, the two different statements, you the mean? The personal history statement. I mean, I, I, can, I think I know what the difference is, but I'd like you to tell the <laughs> listeners, what is the difference between the personal history statement and the statement of purpose? Yeah, what are you hoping so- to get from it? Yeah, so the statement of purpose, I think, really reflects a sense of maturity in thinking about what public health is. And people probably, students probably don't know this, but, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't even get into an MPH program unless you had at least two to five years of experience in public health. I mean, that was, that was, and so, you know, people would have to put those experiences together. And so a statement of purpose is, so you know, we're not asking for that now, but we're asking for the same kind of level of maturity about what you think public health 
is and how you think you can work through public health. What do you want to do? You know, to say something like, you know, I really just want to help the world. Okay. I think that's wonderful. So tell me how and why, and, and the statement of purpose is how you, how are you going to think about helping the world? What are you going to do? Well, I want to be an epidemiologist because I really like numbers and I want to understand the social impact of diseases. So in COVID we saw, you know, these huge disparities between by race ethnicity. And so I think that might be a result of structural racism. And so what I want to use my epi degree for is blah, 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 blah. And so you're really, you've thought about it. And that's what we want. We want students who are thinking about it, not just watching CIS or whatever television show, you know, uh, the, the joke that everybody knows is, you know, ha- halfway through COVID, I got a call from my mother and she said, now I finally know what you do. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? I've been doing this for 25 years. And, I, and she said, yeah, but just never knew. I said, I'm an epidemiologist. And she, but COVID helped define what people in public health yeah. did and that everybody does different things. And so when you, when you apply, it's a serious degree. It's a noble degree. It's as noble as medicine or nursing or pharmacy or dentistry, social work. It's a noble degree. And you need to think it through and think about how you're going to contribute. And so that's a statement of purpose, if you will. And your background, again, is how I got to where I am and, you know, what happened along the way and to get to know me as a person. So they're, they're really very different. And we have a really fine group of faculty who review all of this and are really thinking again about this holistic approach. We want to understand if students um, if students are diverse because diversity is an asset. We want to make sure that we admit students that are all different, very backgrounds and experiences because students come together and you know, they're a cohort and they influence each other and each other's thinking. So we don't want everyone to be the same because we know that diversity is really the key to helping solve all of these problems. We love students who have gone out into the fields, whether it's, you know, whether it's here in the US, whether it's globally, we wanna know about those experiences and what they thought about those experiences, right? Um, And we love students who are, who from other, maybe they have another degree. Maybe they already have an RN, for example. And, you know, they've been very focused on treating individual patients. Public health is about the community. And maybe they're thinking, you know, I enjoy treating my patients, but I really want to think about community health. And I want to think about what that looks like. And so again, diversity, but I will also say engineering students, we need you in public health. Computer students, we need you in public health because you bring skills and a different perspective. And that's, again, how we're going to solve uh, some of these major problems. Great answer. Thank you. Question about the statement of purpose. A lot of times statements of purpose will also say, you know, I'm applying to program X. I want to long-term solve whatever problem they want to solve. Right. Right. But I'm going to use X, Y, ABC resources in the program to, to prepare me to address those problems. Do you want to also know a little bit about why UCI, why, you know, what path they're going to take, or do you, ex- that's not so important to you? 
You know, it's very important for our PhD students. Okay. I think it's nice to have that for the MPH, but the MPH is a professional degree. It's a little bit different, but it would be nice to know that, for example, they say, you know, I want to do community engaged research and, you know, Dr. LeBron, Tangisiri, uh, you know, Roe and Maury are the top community participatory researchers in the country. And I want to do my MPH with them. That's that's wonderful. That really, again, that's that shows that they're mature in their thinking about yeah, this. Absolutely. And I would just add passion is so important. And that's, you know, that comes through by when you look at excitement. So so to try to have some passion in these statements is great. All right. What is a common mistake that you see applicants make in their applications? Missing application deadlines. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good um, one. I, and and also I uh, so another common I think sort of statement of purpose uh, or or background is you know people have had events that have changed their lives and they want to tell you about those events right but what what happens is they'll tell you about the event and then they'll think that you as the reader can just get from that event to being an applicant in public health. If you're going to tell us that you're inspired to do public health because your grandmother had cancer or because, you know, or you're what you work. Why are you class, becoming an oncologist? Right. Well, right. Then work through the logic. Right. I've seen the most incredible statements that start with my grandmother had cancer Uh and flow through. And it's because of this, 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 and this, that I realized that I wanted to do this. And I wanted to work with communities around cancer and cancer survivorship. And then I've seen my grandmother had cancer and I want to go into public health. And the mistake there is I have no idea what's in between there and in the thinking and how am I supposed to get to know you? So it's good to have the pivotal moments, but you have to make the connections. Right. You're not, in other words, you said this a couple of times in different ways, but you're not a good mind reader. No, nobody is. Talented, nobody is. But we, you're not a good mind reader. No. And we get, we get hundreds of applications, right? So, yeah. you know, so that's it. So we are selective. And so I need to know why. Right. Tell me why. Is an interview part of the application process? It's not, not part of the MPH process. You know, there, I think that there have been cycles when everybody gets interviewed over the decades and then not, should it be, you know, I think probably, but I also think it's very hard. How do you get students in? Is it different in Zoom than in person, et cetera? So um, right now it's not, although we do want to meet our students when they get accepted. And if you've been accepted to UCI, congratulations. We're hoping to see you at Admitted Students Day next week. Sounds good to me. What makes, on a, on a, I asked about a mistake. I should have started with something positive. What makes an applicant jump off the page to you in a, in a positive way? Um, I, I, again, I think uh, diversity, maturity, perspective, uh, those are the key things. And of course, excellence, excellence in, you know, in everything that they've done or tried or applicants who have, who, who have, who have the maturity to say, you know, I had to work two jobs 
And so this is how I structured my educational experience so I could do those two things. So maybe it took five years instead of four, right? right. So, so I, think, I think maturity, passion, and also really important is knowing what public health is. You know, and and that's something that if you don't know what public health is, you should come in, you should talk to our faculty and you should get a sense. That's where exploring schools becomes so important. But if you don't know what public health is, jumping into an MPH professional degree, it's going to be tough because your expectations and our expectations may not be the same. And so that's what ha- that, that's an unsuccessful educational experience. Right. I should at least Google it. Uh, okay. <laughs> How do you view letters of intent or update letters at any time during the process or correspondence from waitlisted applicants? I think they're great. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm wondering what my, uh, what my whole admissions committee would say about that. But I think (laughs) there are no, I think it's very, very important. Things happen, which can change in a really positive way um, for students. And they need to let us know, because I think that's critically important. I'm going to get in trouble, I'm sure. (laughs) I think think that that's important. So, so actually our, our graduate student affairs team is really interested in that and will make sure that that gets incorporated in, you know, big things, right? Not right. Significant. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you might, you might want to do a summary of things that have happened, you know, uh, including one big thing and a few small things. That's fine. It's better not to get something every week, but maybe wait, but you know, again, you've got this tight deadline, right? Applications are due usually, uh, in the middle of December. Right. And then we are, uh, and then we're going to start looking, in the beginning of January. So you want to get stuff in when it happens, if it's especially if it's a big thing. Now you have an MPH. You've, I been do. In the, you've been in the field as a professor and administrator for roughly two decades. What would you tell yourself if you were applying in 2023 or 2024 for an MPH? Yeah, that is a great question. What would I tell myself? How would you advise yourself? <laughs> What didn't you realize? Um, What would you advise yourself? Yeah, I would advise myself uh, to really take advantage of of the faculty that are around during the MPH, you know, uh, if if you're in the program, right? That's what you're talking about in the program. No, I'm talking about as an applicant. Oh, as an applicant. As an applicant. I think think it's great advice, by the way, when you're in the program, you just said it. But you you asked a question, um, which I think was a great question before, which was about, you know, do you describe the people you might want to work with. And so I do think, I do think you should decide, but so not all MPH programs are the same. So that's the first thing. Okay. And um, while we have this wonderful, you know, US News and World Report rankings, you know, it's controversy on that, obviously. But while we do have that, you have to decide, you have to say what, I want an MPH. Why? What do I want to do with it? And so you need to make sure that you get, it's, it's not dissimilar to, to undergraduate, that you find programs that are going to have the things that interest you. So for example, global health, right? If you're interested in global health, you want to go to a program that has global health experiences. You want to go to a program where a lot of faculty do global health, right? Mm-hmm. Again, the same thing with, with community engagement. If you're really set on doing cancer, you know, look to see how many people are doing cancer. Also, I think 
I would look to see what are the experiences of partnerships or collaborations across different schools, right? Who's working with who? And what you maybe, how do you do that, right? How do you find that out? So one thing you do is you can find the faculty that you might be interested in because of the area, look them up, look at their papers. Are they collaborating with other people around the university? Because I think that those collaborations, um, you know, can lead to really positive things and can also be networks for you if you're set on an area. And I would, of course, before I applied, ask, should I wait or should I move forward? How strong is my application? Would my application be stronger if I spent the next eight to nine months, you know, volunteering at an organization or, you know, whatever it is. So I think making really, really um, uh, getting my application as strong as possible, talking to people in the field and identifying, say, the top, the, the five schools around the country or around the state, whatever, five schools and programs that really have, are the best match for you. So say, I don't want to stay on campus. I, I want to, I'm taking care of my grandmother and I want to live home. You know, you don't want to have a five hour commute every day. Right. So, right. you know, it, it depends upon what, what, and, and, and then thinking about uh, people like me on the campus, you know, how many people have, have lived in communities like the ones I've lived in that have gone to this school and that have been successful. And what does the student body look like? And how, am I gonna am I gonna feel that I, I I fit in? Does do most of the students work? Do most of the students not work? Right? Um, most is it a commuter school? So all of those things plus then what's the science and and where do I fit into the science? Great answer. Thank you. What would you have liked me to ask you? <laughs> On this, so I think I, I'm very happy that you asked about the application. I think that's important. One thing I always ask students when I see them is, you know, what do you see yourself doing in, in 10 years, right? Because that, that eliminates all of the work of the MPH and the PhD if you're going to go on that way. And, and I think that gives me a, that gives me a good sense of where they, of both their maturity level, but where they are, you know, what are they most attracted to? And um, so say you really want to go into the CDC and be, a, you know, an epidemic intelligence officer, right? So, you, you know, you, you might want to look at an MRA and you might also want to look at other schools that have sent students um, to go to the CDC, for example. Um, so I think that's, I think that that's really important is envisioning yourself 10 years from now, thinking about where you want to be, and then thinking about if that's, if that program or school is going to get you there. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Dr. Bonanel Bala, I think we're almost out of time. You've been really generous with your time. And I want to thank you for joining me and sharing your expertise. This has been absolutely delightful. Where can listeners learn more about UCI's MPH program? Publichealth.uci.edu. <laughs> All right. That's great. Thank you again so much. Thank you listeners also for joining me for this, our 517th episode. Don't miss any future shows or valuable information. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you prefer. You can find subscribe links at exhibit.com slash 517, along with the link to the UCI program in public health. A quick reminder, master the paradox at the heart of graduate admissions by downloading our free guide, Fitting In and Standing Out, 
The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions. You can get your copy at exhibit.com slash F-I-S-O. Again, that's exhibit.com slash F-I-S-O, fitting in, standing out. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.